Good morning, church. I want you to have that, mind, that song in your mind as we continue in our study on worship this morning. All I have is Christ. Wow. It's actually good to see people in church. This is awesome. I mean, for right, Pastor Mike, for Pastor Frank, for months we've been like preaching to empty auditoriums. This is awesome. So thank you. But I want you to think about all I have is Christ. Truly, is that what is on your mind right now? As you come to worship. Last week we talked about this idea of the presence of worship. Who are we here worshiping? There were three particular points that I, I left with you last week. First, I, I said as a church, and I, I poured my heart out my, from my own personal experience, this idea we need to repent for making worship something that it is not. Worship is like an agenda for many of us. Growing up in the church, you come, you sing, you do this. It's this, it's, it's this order of service that we follow. And it's so much more than that. So we, I ask us to repent individually to make worship more than what we have made. And number two, we need to have a hunger for God. When we come into corporately gathering, we need to be hungry to meet with God. And number three is when that happens, we will encounter a living God. And so there are the three things that I left us with last week. So I hope today as we talk about this idea of preparation, now, so now we understand the presence, and I think educationally we understood, okay, we come to church to worship God. Yes, that's a given. We know that here. We may not practice it here, but we know it. The world knows that. You go to church, what? To meet with God. Well, today we're going to talk about preparations as we come to worship. I want you to envision with me a minute people on an airplane. See, people on an airplane and the people in the pew, we have a lot in common. We're all on a journey. Most are well-behaved and presentable. You guys look pretty good this morning. Some doze. Bob, wake up. No, I'm just kidding. He did not. Do some doze. Some are looking out the window. Some are just in a mindless trance. But most of us, whether you're on an airplane ride or you're in a church service, you're going to leave saying, that was a pretty good experience. It was a, it was a, a nice service. It was a nice flight. You exit the same way that you entered. You leave unchanged, unmoved, unaltered. And we're happy to return the next week. We're happy to go on that flight on another time because it was a good experience. So we enter the church this morning, you've seen faces. Well, the first service we see masks, but this service we see faces. Some are smiling, giggling, and laughing, which is always a pleasure to see. There's some that are grumpy and cranky, right? But by and large, we're content. We're content to be here. We're content to sit, look straight ahead, sing some songs, listen to the message. We're content with a nice service. However, I want to encourage us this morning as we look at preparation. I hope there's few here this morning that come to church. I hope in the church of Christ across the world that there is a, a handful that come to church and want to leave with this wide-eyed wonder of who God is and what he has done for us. The destination of worship, again, if we were to ask you that, is to meet with God. As any journey, there's preparations that need to be made. 
We don't want Christians just to endure a service. And what, a, what, a, what, a, what a disgrace or embarrassment. Yeah, I, I, I had to go to church. I, I made it through the service. What does preparation for worship require? All of us have been on a trip, right? We go flying overseas or we're going in a car heading south, going to Disneyland. Whatever. We have a plan, right? You're going to stop here. We've got to have this in the car because of this kid. And, blah, blah. and you have a plan. There's preparations to be done. Well, as we come into worship, I want us as, as Christians to have this mindset of there has to be preparations as we come into the very presence of God and worship him. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 this morning. Solomon was the wisest and richest man we believe to ever walk the face of the earth. And I believe he gives some pre-flight instructions of how we, as, his, as, as, as God followers of Jesus Christ, or Solomon, the follower of God, Jehovah, of how we are to encounter this God as we come into his house. So as you're turning to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, as we do with any book of the Bible we, we jump into as far as in our topical study, we want to give you some biblical hermeneutics, some interpretation of how we look at a passage of Scripture so you can understand what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. So you can leave here today, even though we're talking about worship, we want you to leave also, okay, listen, the book of Ecclesiastes, bottom line, is about this. And here who is, here's the author. And so it gives us, that's how we interpret Scripture. We want to understand why, what we're diving into so we keep things in context. So if there's one word that describes the book of Ecclesiastes is this, dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. And generally outside the, our biblical worldview, the world is dissatisfied. We as Christians may de be dissatisfied if we're out without Christ. Just think about it, man. Look at the television ads. Look at all the commercials that come through your social media feed. It's advertisements, isn't it? Do you remember that toy you had to have when you were seven, eight, nine years old? You remember it? You, had, you begged your parents, if I have this, life is complete. How many had that toy? Come on now. You had that toy, and then what happened? You played with it for about two days. And then your buddy brought something better over. I want that one. Listen, we're all searching for something. None of those things bring satisfaction. The document, our, country, our country's constitution and declaration of independence says life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. We can pursue happiness, but how many individuals truly find happiness? So what Solomon was trying to determine here in his life, what's it all worth? What, what, what is the meaning of life? Ecclesiastes is the fourth of five poetry books in the Old Testament. You have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Yes, I learned how to recite the Bible books in a row when I was little, so that was nice in order, right? So a little bit about King Solomon. Who was King Solomon? David's son. He was the wealthiest, wisest man it is believed to ever walk the face of the earth. If you were to look at his net worth, historians believe Solomon, King Solomon, would have a net worth of $2.2 trillion. That's, that's what I said. Well, 2.2, that's, that's, that's wealthy. 
See, it's believed that Solomon, of course, we know, had it all. Let's just start. He had wisdom. He asked God for wisdom, and God gave him that. It is believed that actually 1 Kings chapter 4 tells us that Solomon wrote 3,000 proverbs and over 1,000 songs. Wise sayings, songs that were to be said and sung. Wine, pleasure and leisure. If you wanted to party, Solomon knew how to put on a party. Solomon had the life of pleasure and leisure. He had it all. Women, we know he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He had everything he needed to satisfy his fleshly desire. And lastly, as we said, he had wealth, possessions beyond we can ever imagine. First Kings 4, if you ever want to reference that, that gives a description of things, what Solomon had and what he had and what he did with his possessions. In fact, First Kings 4 tells us that all the kings of the earth would come to Solomon to get wisdom, to get philosophical value, to get instruction. He was a man of prominence. So understand who, so Ecclesiastes is written by a guy who had it all. And he comes to the end of that book, he can read that book, what's he say about life? Nothing, meaningless, all these things. And we say, man, if I had money, I mean, I'd be satisfied, but you wouldn't. I mean, if I had leisure and pleasure, I'd be satisfied, but we wouldn't. Because outside of God, it's all meaningless. It starts out verse 1, he says there, if you look at verse 1, Calls him the, 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 he's called the preacher. Kohelet is the Hebrew word there, preacher, which I know what you're thinking. You think of preacher, and you think of someone like Pastor Frank or Pastor Mike or myself, someone who preaches the Word of God. But in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it is someone who is a collector and a conveyor of sayings, who would stand in front of an assembly and just state those sayings. And that necessarily did not someone who was a God follower. He was a philosopher. So a preacher here, and it's, 11, it's found 11 times in the, in the, in the Bible, 7 of, the, of, of those 11 times, it's found right here in Ecclesiastes. Solomon being the man who is the conveyor of, and the, and, and, the, and the preacher of wise sayings, of wise words. We see Solomon looking back at his life, an older King Solomon, writing this book, older in his life, looking back, saying... What's it all worth? What did I accomplish? All these things are meaningless. The women, the wine, the leisure, the pleasure, the wealth. It's nothing. Our lesson this morning as we get into this idea of worship. See, Ecclesiastes offers the Christian this opportunity to understand that there is emptiness and despair without God. There is emptiness and despair without God. For those who do not have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, who have not made, put, a, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is no meaning to life. And we may know individuals that are that way. They are just constantly going after things, the meaningless things of life. But we know with Christ is the foreshadow of the glories to come. Amen. And how much more should we as Christians be sharing that good news to people? If there's no salvation, if there is no God, 
What's the point of life? Think about that a minute. If you were not a follower of Jesus, where would you be? What is your direction? What is your purpose? But however, Solomon, there's four, I think he takes little snapshots of what life is about. Chapter 3, chapter 5, in which we'll be at today, chapter 8 and chapter 12, gives, the, gives us snippets, these little snapshots of, okay, it's about God. Looking back in his life, he's remembering his God. Back to chapter 4, the end of the chapter, says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of man. So you say, okay, so what does Solomon have to do with worship? Donna, thanks for asking me that. As we prepare for worship, understand that probably as you're in here this morning, your mind probably is wandering and thinking about some of the meaningless things that this life offers. What you're going to have for lunch. What's going on this week in your home. What's happening in your life? What's going on at work? And really, when we come together corporately right now, our minds need to be focused on God. And so just as Psalm is saying, all the things in life are these things that we desire. And there's times we come into a worship service and our minds are on those things. Think about that a moment. We do not want distractions that take us away from God. So if we look at verses five, chapter 5, 1 and 2, let's just begin reading there because we're going to go back and break this down. But let's just read it together. Verse 1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And we are in a church. I know this is a building. We are the body of Christ. We understand it. But this is where we come to worship. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be rash or be not rash with your mouth nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So I left you with some questions last week, and I'm going to remind us of those questions this morning. Why in the world did you come to church this morning? Why would you ask me that? Ask yourself, why did you come to church this morning? What are you doing here? What's your answer? Don't tell me. What are you here to give God? What's your offering? Not the money you put in the box or the plate. What are you here to offer God? There's a story in Malachi chapter 2, which talks about an inappropriate offering that the high priest gave to God. We understand that the standard of sacrifice in the Old Testament was unblemished, was the best of the best they were to give to God, right? Well, these priests in Malachi chapter 2 offered lame and sick sacrifices to God. It was their second, it was their third best. And God in that verse gets very, very detailed. He says, your sacrifice means it's like dung to me. He says, I'll put dung on your face. I'm going to put sewage on your face. I'm going to put it on your offering. And I'm going to put it out in the town where all that stuff goes. That's what your worship means to me. You're like, wow, yeah. He's putting our worship, he's putting their worship where they stack the animal dung because their hearts were not in it. See, their hearts towards worship of the true God was at an all-time low. 
And as I said last week, folks, and I, I, it, was, it was hard-hitting for me, our worship is focused many times on an agenda of our likes and dislikes, not wanting to really to encounter a living God and show him how worthy he is. Church is about us. Our worship experience is about us. So I'd like to just look, we're going to look at corporate worship this month, but I want to just remind us of three areas of worship in which we have, hopefully, every week or every day. One is perpetual worship. This is this idea that we worship God in everything we do. Paul told the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. So when you get up to go to work tomorrow morning, guess what? You're worshiping God. When you're playing with your kids in the backyard, you're worshiping God. When you're, going, when you're going to school, young people, you're worshiping God. That is what we do, and we worship God through everything that we do. And whatever you eat or you drink, whatever you do, glorify God. That word glorify we touched on last week is the Greek word, which means to show honor, respect, to worship God. So perpetual, our life is worship. Number two is our private worship. Now, our private worship is something, it's, it's, our, it's our devotions, our, our quiet time, but it's those times in our week, in our day, that we're alone and we, ha can, we can communicate to God. Whether we're driving in our car to work or we're, we're walking down the road for doing, getting some exercise and we have the ability privately to have a conversation with God. And many times that private worship comes with trial and struggle. There's times in our life where we are struggling and we have trials and we don't know what's going on. And that is when... We can have also private worship. God, I need you. And we have that private time of worship. And lastly, of course, is our public worship, what we are doing right now together. When we come together, where two or three are gathered in his name, there we go. We are corporately worshiping. Tonight is the kickoff of small groups. So if you gather tonight or you're gathering Tuesday night or Friday night, you're coming together. That is a corporate gathering of God's people. Amen. We're coming together to worship. I believe Solomon gives us in this passage of the scripture, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He shows us what we do before, during, and after our corporate gatherings. See, everything that Solomon experienced without God was meaningless. And here we are, thousands of years, years removed. We have Jesus. We, have, we, have, we see the end game of our future in heaven. And we come in each and every week, I think sometimes... We're thinking and focusing on the meaningless of life. So let's go break down this passage of Scripture. Ecclesiastes 5.1. Guard your step when you go into the house of God. That word guard there means watch. Be careful of your heart. Of you're watching your step. So our first point of, of application this morning is this preparation. Get ready to meet God when you come corporately to gather. Are you checking, are we, I keep saying you because it comes back on me, believe me, I, I, I've been asking a lot of my, myself a lot of questions. Are you checking, are we checking our heart before we worship? What is our mindset when we walk through these doors to come and sit here and participate in a nice service? See, Solomon wrote, guard your steps when you go into the house. One translation says, watch your feet when you go into the house of God. That phrase, guard your steps, meaning that we proceed with reverence. We're tiptoeing into the presence of God. We're entering holy ground. We come, we're cautious about what is going on in our minds. We're really thinking about coming in and, and talking and meeting with a holy God. 
we come with dignity and respect. We approach God. Remember how Moses approached the burning bush? He says, man, I'm on holy ground. Do we long to run after God when we corporately gather? Not physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually. We are focused. I'm going to meet my God today. See, I think if we were to answer this question honestly, we do church like we do lunch. Think about it a minute. Casually, unprepared, our hearts are unprepared, our hearts, our minds do not show the profound respect that our God deserves. We don't really anticipate to hear God's voice because we're not really coming to want that. Do we come to want our souls stirred, our lives changed? We need that hunger when we come together. So I'd like to encourage you with just a few steps as we look at this part of preparation. Prepare. Be ready to meet God. Here's some things maybe we can do individually. This is a, this, these, these are things that they're a to-do list for yourself. No one can make you do these things. These are things you have to realize like, okay, I'm struggling this, with this in my life in the area of worshiping God. And these are things I've got to put into practice. If I want to come to a corporate worship gathering, truly experience the, the presence and encounter a living God, that he encourages me, he lifts me up, he convicts me. I, I leave here in awe and wonder of who he is. Number one, pray. Pray before you come into the church building. Don't do it in the car ride because a lot of bad things happen in car rides to church. Before you get out of your car, God... Meet with me today. God, I, I, you know I've been struggling. Lord, I, I, I want to feel your, your loving care today, Lord. I'm giving you myself today, Lord. I want this to be about you. Number two, relationships. I, I, I label this relationship check. Make sure that your horizontal relationships with your family, brothers and sisters, are good. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, listen, when you bring your offering, set it down before you walk into the place of worship and go make things right with your brothers. Show up at people's houses before our gatherings before time. For our pleasure and leisure things that we do, guess what? We want to make sure we get the seat at the concert we want so we're there standing in line three hours before. You're all smiling. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But somehow Sunday morning... After time's okay. And that, I understand things happen. Start putting the practice. I need to make my corporate gatherings as we gather together in importance. I'm going to come early so I can sit in my seat, maybe fellowship with some, fellowship with some people, and just spend some time just, just praying, just preparing my heart to encounter this living God. Which leads us to our, our next point. Read the Word. Just a suggestion. Read the Word before you come into the presence of God. You're going to read God's Word. He's speaking to you to prepare maybe your heart of what He needs to show you and reveal to you as you gather. And lastly, come hungry. Come hungry for God. You've been out in the, in the workforce all week and maybe have been inundated with all kinds of stuff. And you just want, God, I just, I'm just hungry for God. I, I want to come. I want to meet with you guys. I just want to have your arms around me. Come hungry. Brothers and sisters, we need to prepare ourselves as we come and corporately gather. Guard your steps. Watch your steps when we come into God's house. Not only should we prepare ourselves, 
Number two is we need to participate. Participate. Listen to God's voice. I know what you're thinking about participation. Oh, singing, praying, giving. Yeah, they're all good things. They're all part of what we, actions we prepare for worship. But participation, think about this. Just listen for God's voice. What is God telling you in his spirit? Again, as we said last week, God does not audibly talk to you. If he does, you need to probably go check out a doctor because it's not God. But through your spirit, he is talking to you. Through his word, he is talking to you. What is he, what is he telling you? Listen for God. Look at 5.1b. Look at that. To draw near, that idea of preparation. Drawing near, coming together. To listen. That Hebrew word there is shema. Listen. There, it's, it's very, very interesting. It means to hear. In other contexts in the Old Testament, there is an addition to that. You hear and you obey. Okay, but we have, that's a, another message in and of itself. It says, to hear is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. That word fools there when translated, my wife, is one word that our kids could not use towards each other, was the word stupid. And so, man, the kids would just get in trouble. But the Hebrew word for fools is stupid. Foolishness is stupidity. And what does, that, what does that phrase mean? I think sometimes as we come into worship, we act as fools. Our minds are other places. We're not, we're not guarding our steps. We're not watching our hearts. And we're just, we're just going about what we think worship is about. And I'm going to be honest with you. For many years, I was a fool in worship because I made worship something that it wasn't. And I think if we're honest with each other, so yeah, services were just nice. Coming together was just, just a nice thing to do. For many of us, sir, I've, been, I've been doing church for 42 years of my life. This is what we did. We come to church Sunday, we sit, we sing, we hear, and we leave. But how many times have we truly encountered the living God? Participate, listen for God's voice. Thinking about our, our airplane, airplane analogy this morning, I feel for the flight attendants. Think about the flight attendants on a flight. They're sharing the instructions of before the plane text, so takes off, right? Of course, they're telling you how to buckle a seatbelt. If you don't know how to do that, there's some serious issues. Buckle a seatbelt, right? Exits this way, this way, and this way, right? They tell you about that foam thing under the, under the seat that if you fall 30,000 feet going 500 miles an hour, that that foam thing's somehow going to keep you afloat. I don't understand that, but you, get, you know where it's at. The oxygen masks come down, and okay, that happens. But let me tell you, if the oxygen masks come down, I bet there's people, what do I do with this? Why? They weren't listening to the instructions. I'm sure they feel like God sometimes. Why? Because you're on a flight, you're just, you're, you're looking out the window, you're getting your last thing, minute things out of your carry-on bag. You're not paying attention to those things. See, we must show up to our houses of worship, to our corporate gatherings. We come in, had World War III with our family, kids fighting, arguing, you're throwing them granola bars in the back seat, right? You come in, you come in, I'm here. All right, no one's in our seat. Let's grab our seat real quick, right? Come on, some of you do that, you know that. You say a, a, a few choice words to the person that pulled out in front of you down there at Wawa, then you realize he has a Bible Church bumper sticker in the back. 
<laughs> See, we stroll into the sanctuary. We sit down. We look at the bulletin. We, tent, we, we go over it, circle any proofs. We give it to Heidi, make sure that's corrected for next week. You tell me that some word was spelled wrong in, in, the, in, the, in the worship. Okay, great, awesome. Before you know it, oh, no, the one more thing. You grab a bulletin. You put your, your, you put your, your grocery list on it, your to-do lists. You're laughing. You, some of us have been there. We've done that, right? Before you know it, the service is over. And God was nowhere in the mix of things. Are you just going through motions just to say you're doing church? You're going to worship service. Maybe make your friends make you think like you're the spiritual person. Are you just faking emotions? Are you, are you faking your worship to God? Much just like the priest in Malachi chapter 2. Are you really receiving God's word? Are you obeying God's word? You understand that worship, the, call, the worship, this is central to worship. I mean, singing, yeah, singing is part, all the things we sing about reflect what comes out of here. This, the teaching of God's word, is central to worship. Solomon offers further instruction. Look at verse 2. Do not, I'm sorry, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be haughty or hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Think about when we come to worship, we're here to meet God, the creator of this universe, the one who chose you before the foundations of the earth to be holy and blameless. We're coming to meet with him. And he has an agenda to meet with us all the time. It might do us well as we come in to think about that participation part of listening for his voice. Psalm says, God is in heaven, you are on earth, let your words be few. I love what the New Living Translation says. He says it this way, as you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. We can take a lesson to that. So here's the point. God is, in, God is God, we are not. God is in heaven, we are on earth. God is the Lord, we are his servants. As we prepare for worship, brothers and sisters, remember that we need to approach God in humility. We need to bow before him, fall before him, because of who he came on. You're like, wow, okay, now I know. Now I see. So church, not only do we prepare, participate, number three is practice. Mean what you say to God. And this is, this is one where we've all been guilty Look at verses 4 through 7. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow, that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Do not say before the messenger that this is a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hand? Solomon wrote, bottom line this is this. What you say to God, you fulfill. If you make a promise to God, you fulfill that promise. In the Old Testament, there's three passages of Scripture that give us an idea that vows were a part of worship. Leviticus, you don't need to turn there, they'll be on the screen in front of you. Leviticus 22.18 tells us, that the second part of that verse says, um, when any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering, for any of their vows or free will offerings they offer to the Lord. If we look at Psalms 50.14, he says, offer to God a sacrifice 
voice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. One more, Psalm 65. One, praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. Mean what you say when you say it to God. Think about it for a moment. How many times have we said something and promised God something? Just some, some illustrations. Oh God, if you get me out of this predicament, I'll serve you. Lord, if you just do this one thing, I'm going to start going to church more. Yes, Lord, I promise I am going to up my tithe if you give me that raise. How about for us that are married? We stood before God and our spouse. We said, I'll be a faithful husband and wife in joy and sorrows and sickness and in health as long as we both shall live. We made that promise, that vow, that commitment. Lord, I'm rededicating my life to you. I promise I'm going to spend more time in your word. I pledge before you, we've had this at church, we pledge you, families come up with their child. I pledge you, God, that we are going to raise our child in the nurture and admonition of God, and we make that vow before him. And I like this one. I, I grew up at Bible camps and summer camps and winter camps, and we always have those, those altar calls where we come forward and we make a dedication to God. I want to be a missionary. How many said that in your lifetime? Don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> What are things that we have committed and vowed to God and we have not fulfilled? See, that word vow there in the Hebrew means commitment. It means promise. Two particular illustrations in the Bible. Jephthah in Judges chapter 11 made a commitment to God. It cost him his only child. He said, God, give me the Ammonites. If, we, if you can give me the Ammonites and defeat the Ammonites, the first thing that comes out of my door, I will give to you as a burnt offering. And wouldn't you know, the next thing that walked out of his door was his only child. And he made good on his vow. How about Peter, when he said to Jesus in Matthew 26, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. What happened to Peter? Yeah. Church, we need to take God seriously. We need to take what we tell God seriously, the promise and the vows that we make to him. So as we come to the end of our service this morning, our message this morning, I, I want us to be a challenge to us all. Stop. We, not you, we need to stop playing games with God. Make no mistake, God loves laughter, he loves fun, he created us, he loves the delight in people, enjoying life, the sense of humor, but worship, we need to treat worship seriously, that we are coming to worship a holy God. Mean what you say when you make a commitment to God. A story is given before the pre-9-11 restrictions at, at an airport. A young girl was going through the checkout or the, the, the baggage uh, security and was going through the, you know, the, the big, uh, you know, cameras. And she looked at the TSA agency. What, you think I have a gun in there? Okay, there's two words you don't say at an airport. One is gun and one is bomb. Well, they quickly took her aside and scolded her because she didn't mean that she had a gun. 
How many of us have said things to God and made a commitment, made a vow? We just didn't mean. Church, there's, 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 we have a choice here. Will you be a true worshiper of God coming into a corporate gathering with him on your mind, focusing on meeting with him, encountering him, preparing ourselves before we come in to worship, participating, listening to his voice? What does he, what's he want to tell you? What does he want to work on in your life? And then practicing. Before we say a vow or a commitment to God, make sure that our hearts, that we are going to fulfill that to the holy living God. Will you be a true worshiper or will you be a false worshiper of God? False worship is someone who just, business as usual, just coming in, just, it's an agenda, it's a nice service. Yep, I leave here, I'm not changed, nothing is different. I pray, church, as we move forward in the area of our worship, it's not about singing. I hope that singing reflects our heart to God. It's not about giving. Yes, we love that because we're called to give. I, I understand that. But it's our heart. What is your heart of worship this morning? What is your heart of worship as we come and gather each and every time we meet or two or three or more gather? What is your heart? Check that next time we, you, meet, you meet corporately. Where is your heart? Are you ready to meet a living God, the living God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Help us, Father, as we prepare ourselves to worship as we come together each week corporately. Lord, may, our, may, we, may we look at diff, worship differently. May we see it that this is a meeting with you. This is a time where we will come and listen to your spirit. And we will hear your word and be changed when we leave here. And we're coming to encounter you. Thank you, Father, for all that you are to us. And as we leave here, Lord, as Eric sang, the, the worship band sang before we, we began our, our message, Lord, all I have is Christ. All I have is Christ. Thank you, Father. Give us a great day in your precious name. Amen. Let's stand up and sing that chorus. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ.